just whistling, just strolling along, no hassle. Everything's cool, cool as cucumbers. Well, that, to put it very bluntly, is how civil defence was seen in Britain in the early Cold War. Yeah, no problem. We survived the blitz, we know how it's done. Tin hats on, ladders up, sling the bird over your shoulder, rescue her and go home a hero. What's that you say? A new a new type of an atomic bomb? Well, yeah, I hear you, but didn't I just say that we won the war? Didn't I just tell you how good we were in the Blitz? We saved so many lives. We can do it again, no problem. Still got the same guys around, still got the same expertise. Nuclear bombs will just be like an especially bad night of the Blitz, though, wouldn't it? We can handle it. Of course I exaggerate for comedy effect, but in very broad terms, our civil defence in the early Cold War was still shaped by the Second World War. Of course it was. And so we still intended to apply the old ways and methods, the old search and rescue skills to any atomic war, to pulling people out of any atomic rubble. And that's what we discussed in last week's episode, wasn't it? The waking point. We looked at recruitment to the Civil Defence Corps. Use those old blitz skills, lads. Lend a hand. You might still be needed if one of those, uh, what do you call them, one of those atomic bombs falls on us. But from the very beginning of the atomic age, there were clear-sighted individuals who saw that this was absolutely hopeless. One of them was our very first post-war Prime Minister, Clement Attlee, who told the House of Commons in August 1945, just days after the first bombs were exploded at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that, quote, we have been living through great events and we have got to realise we are living in a new world. We have seen in action a new force, the result of scientific discovery, the far-reaching consequences of which I think we find it difficult to grasp. Well, you said it, Clem. And he went further. In a note to ministerial colleagues a few days later, he said that the old civil defence methods, uh, air raid precautions, uh, bomb shelters in the garden, etc., were all futile waste. But things move slowly in politics, as we know. So this new Prime Minister could hardly stand on the steps of Downing Street and tell battered Britain that, sorry chaps, but if war happens again, we really are done for. So the concept of civil defence trundled on, at least as far as the public were concerned, and the notion persisted that the civil defence lads would come and rescue you from the atomic ruins, just as they had from the Blitz ruins. So Clement Attlee was one of the first to see the hard, cold reality of the atomic bomb and to see what it meant for the civilian population of Britain and to see that our wartime Anderson shelters and Morrison shelters and ladders and ambulances and tin hats and emergency canteens and real 
undoubted physical courage and heroism wouldn't matter a jot in the face of atomic warfare. Now, I feel uncomfortable saying that. I really do. I feel guilty almost in saying it, which I realise is a sentimental response. So please just let me say again, to repeat again, that this is no slight on the brilliant and brave people who served in civil defence during the war. I don't need to say that, of course, but just in case anyone out there is maybe joining this podcast late or is taking offence, those people, those men and women, they have my admiration and respect completely. All I'm saying is that the atomic bomb dwarfs everything. Every human effort, no matter how valiant, couldn't hope to stand up to all-out nuclear war. You'll notice I've been carefully referring to the atomic bomb throughout this episode. Civil defence will persist, even with this new and horrible atomic bomb. Well, as we know, something even worse than the atomic bomb came along. Of course, that's the hydrogen bomb. The first one was tested by the Americans, of course, in 1952, and this, once again, changed everything. If we thought the atomic bomb was bad, then yowza, we ain't seen nothing yet. The hydrogen bomb, well, there's there's no point even quoting statistics. The amount of explosive power, the width of blast radius, blah blah blah, it's just numbers. Stats become floppy and meaningless when we're talking about the hydrogen bomb or the thermonuclear bomb, as it's also called. The hydrogen bomb is so awesome and so devastating, so apocalyptic, that it reminds me of a question that my uh, wee sister Jen asked my mum when she was young, of course. She said, Mummy, see if a man shoots me and I'm dead. See if he shoots me again. Am I dead more? Well, that's the best way that I can think of to talk about the thermonuclear bomb. You're dead, but even more so. The atomic bomb will kill you, yeah, will wipe everything out, but the thermonuclear bomb will do it even more so, a thousand times over. As Jen said, you're dead, but even more. And so we come to the Strath Report. The report was commissioned so that the government could try to understand the terrible power of this new type of bomb, this hydrogen bomb, this thermonuclear bomb, and try to understand what it meant for Britain's civil defence and war planning. So Strath and his colleagues worked for months on this top secret project and they finally presented their findings in 1955 telling the horrible, straight truth of the hydrogen bomb and what it would do to Britain. And the most important aspect of the Strath Report is the importance it placed on nuclear fallout. The hydrogen bomb produced incredible amounts of fallout compared to the atomic bomb. The very simple physics behind it is that the hydrogen bomb being hugely more powerful than the atomic bomb could, 
when it exploded on the ground, create a massive crater compared to the atomic bomb, suck up all that debris into its mushroom cloud where it would become irradiated, and then gradually it would descend back to the Earth as lethal fallout, as radioactive fallout. So in the most basic terms, the bomb is much bigger, so it gouges much more of the city out and up, and then throws it back down again. So this was a crushing blow for Britain's flickering hopes of enduring any nuclear war. Fallout, of course, spreads and drifts and travels. Fallout goes where the weather takes it. And so this ruined one of Britain's most successful civil defence hopes, which was evacuation. During the war, we all know this, evacuation had been an overall success. Little kids and mothers had been efficiently zoomed out of the cities by train and deposited all across rural Britain. Some were, of course, very unhappy there. Some were just bored in the countryside. Some were insulted or mocked or sneered at for being grubby and dirty. But they were safe, at least. They were totally safe out in the countryside from bombardment. You can't deny that. The countryside was safe. Fallout took that notion away. Fallout doesn't care for cows and country lanes and apple blossom. In this new thermonuclear age, the countryside had become just as dangerous as the city. Now nowhere was safe. And for small and cramped Britain, that was surely the most crushing blow of the thermonuclear age. Look at America and the Soviet Union. They've got vast, vast countries, huge countries, which would, in theory, have patches here and there that were free from blast and fallout. But not little Britain. The Strath Report and its unvarnished truth really kicked the guts out of our old and comfortable notions of civil defence. So let's tuck into the Strath Report and see what it said. One of the things they tried to do was uh, convey the immense power of this new bomb. I tried to do that earlier in the episode with my sister Jen's talk of being shot and then shot even more. Would you be more dead? Let's see how Strath and Chums try to convey the power of this new hydrogen bomb. I'll quote here from the report. Hydrogen bomb war would be total war in a sense not hitherto conceived. The entire nation would be in the front line. Life and property would be obliterated by blast and fire on a vast scale. An attack of the size assumed would unleash an explosive force equivalent to 100 million tonnes of TNT. This is 45 times as great as the total tonnage of bombs delivered by all the Allies over Germany, Italy and occupied France throughout the whole of the last war. It's equivalent to 20,000, 1,000 bomber raids of the last war. A single 10 megaton could destroy any of our cities except Greater London and all or nearly all its inhabitants. While much could be done to reduce the number of casualties, 
loss of life on a massive scale would be unavoidable. The report also says that the aim of the enemy will be to eliminate us from the contest. Of course, in the grand contest of nuclear war, Britain and Western Europe would surely just have been a a battleground, not a serious contender for any kind of victory, if victory in all-out nuclear war is possible. No, the contest would be between America and the Soviet Union, of course, and we, Britain, would just be the place from where America launched some bombers or some missiles. West Germany might just be the place where the tanks fought it out before they were all sizzled by some tactical nukes. No, in this great contest, Europe, stuck in the middle, hardly matters as a contender, and the Strath Report put their fingers on that by saying they would be eliminating us from the contest. Of course, in the later Cold War, Britain was <laughs> tauntingly described as America's unsinkable aircraft carrier. And this warning by Strath seems to be summoning up that same spirit. We'd just be seen as a base for America's kit, a storage area for some of their missiles or bombers. So let's knock Britain out and get on with the contest. Harsh words there from the Strath Report. And note the use of the word eliminate. The aim of the enemy is to eliminate us, not to damage us or limit us or hamper us or impede us. No, in the thermonuclear age, we speak of elimination. Now, what would it take to eliminate Britain from the contest? The Strath Report reckoned it would only take 10 hydrogen bombs. 10 bombs of 10 megatons each. For comparison, let's remember that the Hiroshima bomb was an atomic bomb of 15 kilotons. Remember, a kiloton is equivalent to a 1,000 tonnes of TNT. But with the hydrogen bomb, we leave puny kilotons behind and move into the measurement of megatons, where one megaton is equivalent to a million tonnes of TNT. Now that just scrambles my brain. It's almost impossible to think about. So if one megaton equals a million tonnes of TNT, then that means that the Tsar Bomba, the biggest nuclear bomb ever exploded, was equivalent to 50 million tonnes of TNT. That's that's just mad. I lose any coherence there. That That's just mad. And if you want to get madder still, the Soviets would have us believe that if Zarbomba had been cranked up to its full capacity, its full yield, it would have given us 100 million tonnes of TNT. We'll look into that in another episode in the future, I'm sure. Why the Zarbomba was restrained down to a mere 50 million tonnes of TNT. But Britain, being geographically small and compact, wouldn't need a Tsar Bomba. No, the Strath Report estimated that 10 hydrogen bombs of a mere 10 megatons each would do for her. And the report envisaged that these would probably be targeted on air bases and major cities. And with Britain being so compact, 
the resulting blast and fallout from those hydrogen bombs would roar and rage and drift across the rest of the country, finishing off whatever remained. The report also mentions something which really frightened me. It says attacks would be more likely to take place at night. The idea of it happening at night is horrible. As night, of course, is when we're vulnerable and asleep and safely at home and maybe having tea and biscuits before bed. It's like kicking us when we're down. And of course, the flash would be even more damaging if it burst out of a dark sky. I mentioned this on Twitter during the week, um, thinking how bad it is when your husband throws the bedroom light on in a dark winter morning because he can't find his socks. A sudden bright light out of the darkness is uncomfortable. It could even be painful or, or dangerous. So if people were awake and about at night and the nuclear flash suddenly bloomed in a black sky, it would be particularly horrible, dangerous and damaging to the eyes. While I was fretting about this on Twitter, someone said they'd read that the Soviets were judged most likely to launch an attack on Christmas Day, as that's of course the day of the year when the West's population would be most vulnerable, everyone is at home and industry would have wound down. And then one of my Twitter followers, Wynne Grant, reminded me that the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan on Christmas Day. So maybe there is some real logic behind that. Shout out to Wynne Grant, who's also a supporter of the podcast on Patreon. Thanks, Wynne, and thanks for sparking some real nightmares with the prospect of nuclear war on Christmas Day. So that's a quick look at the cold, hard truth of the Strath Report. Unimaginable destruction from this new hydrogen bomb and fallout now an undeniable and dreadful threat, which means nowhere in Britain is safe. The traditional notion of fleeing to the country, of evacuating the vulnerable to a safe place, is gone. The game's up. I've got a full copy of the Strath Report and I'm going to share it with my patrons, those who've signed up to the Tsar Bomba level or higher. That's one of the membership benefits. I share nuclear archive material. So if you want to support the podcast on Patreon, there are benefits apart from the nice, warm, atomic glow of knowing you support the podcast and keep it on the air. So please take a look at patreon.com forward slash atomic hobo. And if you support me there, remember that you can cancel at any time. There is no hassle with that. I've had three new patrons join me this week, so thank you to the new guys, Neil Collinson, Jay Butler-Moore and Odin Malman. And this week let me also say thanks to some existing patrons. This week I'm thanking Tom, Richard Allum, Will Crystal Beth, find a new name for the next episode. I think this patron is changing the name every week for something zany and cool. That's fine, as long as it's not filthy and obscene, I'll read it out. And also thanks to Luke Guttridge, Martin Harder, Richard Hewitt, Liz, Debbie and Lisa Hughes. 